I'm Seth Day, I use he and they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. All right, this month we're talking about family, and for this week's episode, we're going to be talking about all the awesome ways there are to introduce kids into our family, so whether that is, um, you know, the more quote unquote, more traditional um, conception or whether that is um, in vitro or adoption, fostering, surrogacy, um, mixed families, anything like that. Um, So yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And I have some lovely, lovely guests uh, who I'm going to invite to introduce themselves. I guess we'll um, go around starting with Tefer. I'm Tefer. I go by she and they, a little more going with they these days. I live in Montreal, but I'm from Ontario originally, grew up in Boston. Um, I have two kids. I have a baby who's seven months old and a five-year-old and a partner who I live with. Um, Amazing. Yeah. That's a good question. In Montreal. Great. This is uh, Robbie Samuels, and I am a out queer trans dad, um, partner with a queer cis mama, and we have two little ones, uh, one and a half and three and a half years old. We live in Boston. Uh, been in Boston since uh, early 2000s and grew up in New York City on Long Island. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, my name is Amy Saucier, and I am from Chicago, but I live in Oakland, California. And I have uh, fostered four children. And I have adopted one. So only one lives with me right now. And uh, what pronouns do you use? Oh, she, her. So my first question is sort of an extension of um, the family question, which is, you know, just tell me a little bit about how your family came to be or how you introduced kids into your family, right? Because a family can exist without children. Um, And uh, how you made that decision or how that came about. So, um, well, I I can tell you that... um, even just uh, six or so years ago, I, I didn't know for certain I was going to have a family, um, although that was when it started to become a possibility. My wife and I started dating uh, in 2012, so it's around that time that it started to get like the idea of my future with her, finding the right partner, made me really excited about the possibility of having a family. Um, I'm turning 45 this year, and so also you know, age factored into it a little bit, thinking, you know, okay you know, how, how does this all work? Uh, my wife's a little bit younger, so that helped. And we went through the process. Um, we found a donor through um, a sperm bank in California. And we live in Massachusetts, which factors into the story because after six attempts of going into the doctor's office and being inseminated, uh, it didn't work. Um, we were able to jump to right to going to IVF. And that's because under the insurance in Massachusetts, IVF is covered. I was fortunate to actually meet one of the one of the women who fought for this um, more than 20 years ago. Um, and uh, it was a, a straight cis woman. And she fought with a bunch of other uh, families to have this be covered. And it's, I think, kind of still rare. Without that, I don't think we'd have the, the means to have had a, a family in this way. We would have yeah, had to find amazing. other options. So um, my first son was born in December of 2015. Um, I had been home 
for a year uh, building my business. I'd left my career to, to really focus on my business as a speaker and a coach. I uh, was working on a book, uh, thinking about a podcast at the time, which I now had for three years. And so I became the at-home dad. And then two years later, we had a second child, also through IVF. And um, what's really interesting to think about is that they were embryos from the same batch, <laughs> same mm-hmm. litter. And mm-hmm. so my youngest could have been my oldest. <laughs> I also want to say that we ended up with, with two kids because my, my wife kept sending me pictures of siblings on, um, pin, on uh, Instagram <laughs> of being so, so cute, hashtag siblings. And um, oh my gosh, you know, that really, we just had a moment a, a few minutes ago before this call my kids were sitting together on a couch, like squished together. And I just thought, gosh, this is those moments where you're just like, that's, you know, that's awesome. So that's kind of how my family came to be. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thanks, Robbie. Um, my, my family really came to be on the one hand in the very traditional manner of birth control failure twice. Um, but I also uh, do have a, a blended family, if that's what you call it. Um, so I had my my older child. I really did the traditional sort of compulsory hat thing of getting married and you have a baby and um, just went through this whole process of kind of feeling like we did all the steps and it doesn't feel like a family and it doesn't feel right Um feeling very connected to my child but really just kind of recognizing that the marriage didn't work the family unit didn't work um and so after leaving that marriage uh didn't didn't meet my partner already knew my partner we were friends my current partner and um we actually moved in together before we were a couple and kind of already felt like chosen family in that way and then and then developed a relationship and then um, despite the fact that we are both uh, um, non-binary, we have the appropriate biology to allow for another birth control failure uh, and another lovely child. Um, so we're we're a blended family. My oldest child spends half the time with us, half the time with their dad. Um, the decision to have the second child, I mean, despite having a birth control failure that wasn't a choice um but the decision to sort of go through with it and and settle into it it was around the same time we were establishing the network that the show is on actually the upward network and it was kind of like okay like this is kind of two babies at once situation here um and it what it came down to for both of us was just like well we've always both of us have always wanted kids tom has wanted to be a dad for as long as i have known uh, him and um, we just kind of committed to it even though it was super early in the relationship sort of everything was kind of kind of backwards we moved in before we were together and then we had a baby almost immediately while establishing this project and everything's just been kind of spontaneous and uh, and amazing um, but yeah I mean that's how we don't we don't use you know half siblings like the kids are siblings um they're they're so close and uh we just celebrated our first father's day as our blended family yesterday um yeah it's really nice and then and it feels right yeah (laughs) that's awesome thank you so much for sharing tepper so i was 
you know, maybe about five years ago, I was looking into different ways to start a family. And I looked into sort of carrying a baby and all the expenses with that sort of became prohibitive. I wasn't covered under my insurance and I had sort of a weird argument with them about, you know, um, infertility was considered an infertility treatment or something like that. And so I argued that as like a queer person of color and how these things were discriminatory and didn't win. So then I looked into other options. I had happened to be, um, familiar with the foster care system because I was a social worker in the foster system and had never really thought about being a foster parent, but I decided to look into it and went through all the process to become a foster parent, and then I adopted. So that's, it was about, that story was over the course of maybe like three or four years. Um, I'm just curious, like what, what made you uh, decide to continue fostering? Did you just like love the first experience or? Um, well, I definitely went into foster care to start a family. So the first three that I fostered went back to their families. They were reunified. Um, and so I didn't get the opportunity to adopt the fourth one. I had sort of, um, you know, the way things sort of went around, she was able to be adopted. And so I adopted her. Um, I haven't done any more fostering since her. Uh, yet. So I haven't decided if that's something I can do or not as a single person. In a little bit of an extension to that, I'm curious, I know obviously, right, for um, Tepper, like Toby is still an infant, um, or I don't know how, how old are your kids, Robbie? One and a half and three and a half. My gosh, those are such fun ages. As a nanny, those are some of my favorite ages. (laughs) Um, Right now, I'm nannying two 18-month-old twins. They're just like, wow, man. Yeah, it's a never a dull moment. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I'm curious how have you, like, if you've talked to your kids about sort of how your family came to be or how you will if you, you know, haven't or if they're at the age where maybe you haven't had that conversation yet. Uh, yeah, I've definitely thought about it a lot, especially when – you know, um, some of her family is mm-hmm. involved. And so thinking about like names of people, what do we call mm. each other? Um, things like that have come up around family. So, you know, like, um, like her great grandmother is involved and she doesn't want to be called a grandmother. So we call her mm-hmm. Nana. So it's just sort of happened that, uh, we haven't had any names that overlap. I would say, <laughs> so that's been helpful. Um, so she just, I explain it as, you know, like, this is our community, this is our family. I don't live near my biological mm-hmm. family, so um, everybody is sort of a fictive kin in some yeah. sort of way. So we have sort of a unique experience in that sense. And then, um, you know, now I talk about adoption, it sort of comes up randomly in different places. Um, she has sort of a unique name, and so people will ask me, like, oh, you know, like, what does it mean, or whatever, and I usually say, you know, I don't I don't really know. I didn't name her. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, her birth mother named her, and then I sort of get into the adoption piece of that. Uh, I know that as she gets older, I will probably do a lot less of that because, you know, that's sort of outing her yeah. story, and I wouldn't want to do that, Um 
and cause any harm in that particular way. Now it feels like um, I'm trying to spread the word about like not all families look the same mm. and we don't all come about in the same kind of way. So I'm trying to share that, particularly when I'm in spaces where there aren't, you know, other queer people or there aren't other people yeah. of color. And so it's kind of like a, a way to sort of like bridge a topic that maybe I'm a little more comfortable yeah, talking totally. about. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have some books that help us, you know, give language to this conversation. Um, one book that comes to mind is a book called What, what Makes a Baby. Yes, um, Corey Silverberg. So good. Yeah. And um, and we also, uh, I think there's a book called Who Am I? It's about um, gender identity and, and sex. Yeah, um, the one with the little wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, you know, these are all pieces of the language part of it. Um, we we want him, you know, both of them. Uh, I keep thinking most of it, my older son, because he's at the age where you can talk to him. Um, we want them to understand, but um, it's not like it's a big surprise or a big reveal. Um, I'm not coming out to my kids. I, I just am with them. That's mm-hmm. how they know me. Um, so one of the things that we've been teaching my three and a half year old is the difference between private and secret. Mm. Um, and the way we got started, because I will be, I'll just say that it's not a secret that I'm trans, but it is private. Like I don't want him to necessarily like start every conversation in the supermarket <laughs> with, and you know, my dad's trans, you know, like mm-hmm. um, calls me Papa. It'd be really funny. Like my Papa's trans. So, <laughs> You know, I don't I don't want that to happen, but I don't want him to feel like it's a secret that he has to hold. So I want him to understand the difference between private and public. And so kind of a funny way we've done this is that we explain to him um, when he's allowed to pick his nose. <laughs> and I don't want to see it. Right. Like this is the kind of thing that everyone does, but no one talks about. And so <laughs> I want him to know that he should do that in private. And if I can see him, it's not in private. And so in private for him is in his bed or in the car. And I will tell you that he does that. If I ever catch him starting to pick his nose, I just go, ah, you're not in private. And he's like, nope, sorry. You know, and he like rubs his nose <laughs> and he stops. And I, I feel like that's the basis to start saying like, you know, here's something that's private. And like, I just wanted to kind of give him some sense of that. Um, but we're also surrounded by a lot of queer families, a lot of two mom families in particular, um, some two dad families. Like he's definitely seen all these configurations. So for him, it's just, this is just how life is, even though majority of the families that he interacts with probably are, um, you know, a mom and a dad. It, you know, I, I don't think he thinks it's a, a one way it can happen. And we do as a family have to sort of fight the assumption that, we're a heterosexual family. Mm-hmm. Neither one of us identifies that way. And so like pride just happened in Boston and like pride's a, a family holiday. <laughs> like it's a big deal in our household. And so, you know, my, my son has chanted fight for transgender rights and he waves <laughs> the flag and um, we're, so we're proud to be a queer family and we want our kids to be proud of that too. That's awesome. I, I love that idea of, private versus secret. Cause I was actually just thinking, thinking a lot about that. I was, I listened to this other podcast called how to be a girl, which I don't know 
if you've ever listened to Robbie, but it's it's a mother of a transgender. Um, she was six when the show started, and she just sort of sometimes the daughter is on, and they just have conversations. But that's one of the things she's talking about as she went to school. Like she didn't necessarily want to tell people that she was trans, um, but at the same time, the parents were like, "Well, we don't want." other parents to find it out as a surprise. And then it's like, oh, you were keeping a secret. Like you told your friends not to tell their parents about this. And so like the difference between, oh, this is a private thing to me. Maybe don't share it as opposed to like keep a secret about it. I like, I don't know. I like that idea. Cause I was thinking a lot about that recently after that episode. So thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. I like it too. And I also like it in terms of picking your nose because that's a, a personal battle we're currently um, dealing with in my household about where to, where and when to pick your nose come in handy yeah. in other ways when as they get older um, to be able to say like yeah. that's not something I need you to do in front of me thank you very much <laughs> you can do that mm-hmm. in your own time mm-hmm. so there was a little boy that I used to nanny and he was going through a phase a lot of kids go through where he would put his hand in his pants a lot and um so his parents and i were on the same page where we said that again same sort of thing we're like that's something you do in private that's something you do when no one else is around when you're alone was how we was how we framed it and you know and we said similar things like when you're in your bedroom that's the time that you're alone and so he was eating lunch one day and i got up to go to the bathroom and i came back and he put his hands on his hips all proudly and said i was touching my penis because i was alone (laughs) and i was like also maybe now we need to have a conversation about like maybe don't do that while you're eating. It's not like the cleanest. <laughs> um, but I thought that was so funny. He was so proud to tell me like that defeats the purpose a little bit, but I really love that buddy that you like <laughs> took it to heart. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But anyway, um, Tuffer, did you want to go ahead? Yeah. Um, can you remind me of yeah. that? Oh, if you've had conversations or how you plan to have those kinds of conversations of sort of how you came to be as a family. Um, well, for me, I mean, in terms of like how babies are made, since we have the kind of traditional uh, way of making babies, it's it's not uh, my kid is obsessed with it. And we have what makes a baby and we have some other books and we read them a lot. And, you know, they drew me a picture of an egg cell for Mother's Day. Yeah. We're, we're pretty like <laughs> clear on this. Um, and also just gave me it was really sweet. Actually, they just gave me a Father's Day gift yesterday because you're both a boy and a girl like and that was like the most affirming lovely moment like I didn't say anything about it you know but uh he just spontaneously did that and I was like oh my god (laughs) um but I mean from our angle really what it comes down to is explaining divorce um because so my older kid was three when uh, their dad and I split up and you know old enough to kind of understand that this was happening, old enough to remember um, when we were together. And that's a difficult thing to explain. Um, And it was especially difficult because their dad was not super interested in having a unified story about it. Um, So it was a lot of sort of, well, but daddy says you're not friends anymore. Like, because I was saying, you know, well, we're better friends when we don't live together. And it was, well, but daddy says you aren't friends. So it was just a little complicated. It was a little messy. And uh, finding ways to explain um, divorce, I think, in a positive way, because I, I feel like culturally we talk about divorce so negatively. But but I really see divorce as positive, because without divorce, marriage is prison. Like, you, if you don't have a way that you can opt to leave, 
it's not a positive thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I had to phrase it in different ways. And kind of what I came down to was just like, well, some marriages or partnerships last a long time and some of them are shorter. And the one we were in was a shorter one. And so then kind of transitioning from that to explaining like, and now there's this other family that we're also part of, I felt awkward about. And for, for a while, for the first little while, we kind of didn't really address the fact that we were in a relationship. We are just kind of, we live here now. Um, and we had been friends and they were familiar with the house and stuff like that, so that made it easier. It was sort of, well, mom's, you know, living here now because it's close to you and in our neighborhood and whatever. But then I got pregnant and I do remember when we were, when I, when I told them I was pregnant, uh, I said, well, you know, and, and the egg is from you and, and the sperm is from my daddy. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> it, it's not actually. Um, and we had to approach that. And I had to be like, no, actually, you know, the sperm is from Tom. That's, that's how we did this, which is not necessarily a conversation you expect to have with a four-year-old, uh, but is a conversation you should expect to have with my four-year-old, who is now five and a half and still that way. Um, but in terms of just it being family, in terms of this being your little brother, you know, that was just smooth and easy. And like, of course, my mom is having this baby and this is my brother. And, and they had wanted a baby um, sibling for a very long time. They were a little disappointed that it was a brother and does uh, uh, consistently tell people, you know, I really wanted it to be a baby sister, but maybe, maybe he'll be <laughs> transgender. <But he's> <laughs> But he's too little now. We don't know. But maybe. <laughs> I love that so much. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> the campaign. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to keep saying, like, well, honey, like, that's for Toby to tell us. That's, that's you know, that's his deal. We don't get to tell. <laughs> but I, I love that. It's sort of, you know, the usual, I feel like the typical narrative that we hear is like, oh, don't be trans. Don't be trans. And I love the opposite narrative. Like, I hope my sibling is trans. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, Sort of going off of what Robbie was saying a little bit about um, sometimes, you know, maybe uh, fighting against the assumption that you're like a heteronormative family structure while still feeling uh, very strongly, um, you know, your pride about being trans or queer or things like that. Um, Have you ever had experiences where people have made assumptions about your family? I'm I'm thinking about a time when I was nannying and I had a kid with me who was half Indian. So, and very much looked half Indian. I don't think he looked anything like me in particular, you know, which is funny because people all the time would be like, you look so much alike. And I'm like, so now I know that's just a thing people say, because we don't look anything alike. (laughs) But anyway, so I was holding him in the carrier. We were waiting for the train back when I was working in New York. And this man walked up to me and just said, he's so cute. Is he adopted? And I was like, no, because he wasn't. Like, I wasn't going to get into a whole conversation with this man. I was just like, no. And he walked, he sort of like took a beat. and was like, oh, do you have a wife? And I was like, yes, because I did again. I'm like, not going to get into this isn't even my child. And he sort of like stepped away and then came back and said, um, I'm sorry, like, I didn't mean to offend you by asking him, asking you if he was adopted. It's just that, like, I'm bisexual and you look pretty gay. So I assume he was adopted. And I was like, wow, there's so much to unpack right there. Like, I don't even know. 
boatload of assumptions that just happened. Like, this isn't even my child. Why could my child, even if I was gay and this was my child, why would that child have to be adopted? Like, it was so, and that even happened other times when I, I remember a time when I was on the train with the same child and uh, I mentioned that he had two moms and someone was like, oh, it's so nice that they adopted him. I was like, he wasn't adopted. And like, I don't know if that had to do with him being a person of color. Also, like there was, but there's so many interesting things like that I've just experienced in my life as a nanny, um, where people make assumptions about the kids or the family members that I'm with. Um, and so I'm curious if y'all have had any experiences like that. Well, when I'm by myself, I, I think I'm probably read as a gay man mm. more often than not. Um, I have a very trim beard. Um carefully manicured beard um and i've got a little ear piercing um top of my ear and i feel like my mannerisms that used to seem so butch <laughs> um i was i was seen as such a dyke without question even before i was out <laughs> um to myself others had identified me as being gay um but now in this sort of gender presentation um i'm decisively seen as male but those same affects are now seen as you know oh okay then he must be a gay man and then when i'm with my wife you know we're at a glance we're a straight couple but i do wonder if some people think i wonder if she knows she's married to a gay man <laughs> Oh my, gosh. my wife and I have this moment all the time. I'm literally sitting here in a crop top and like hot shorts. And my wife is like very traditionally, you know, she's like wears dresses and she's femme and we're hanging out and I'm like, people definitely look at us and they're like, does she know? Like, yeah. She's like, yeah. And she's literally had people be like, you know, your husband's gay, right? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. And then when I'm with um, my kids by myself, which um, I've been the primary parent uh, most of my kids' lives and you know, when I'm out with one or both of them, then there's a lot of interesting things about being an active and engaged dad that happens. Like there's two extremes. One is people applaud you for doing so uh, basic things like carrying your child, like wear wearing your child in a supermarket and you're getting praised for it. Um, but I also have had people offer to you're like, do you need help with that diaper? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I'm like, are you kidding? Um, and so that's always interesting because I, my um, my work around feminism kind of came to be a passion of mine when I presented more as a man. Like, I think prior to that, I sort of took it all for granted. I also wasn't really aware of my my racial identity until I was like, oh, wow, I'm I'm not going to be a man. I'm going to be a white man. Huh, mm. What does that mean? You know, I've I've been socialized in this uh, dyke space for my 20s. And now I'm something going to be passing and what does that look like? And so I've taken it to heart to like think about how to make space for others and advocate for men being able to like, you know, be active and engaged parents. Partly because I think that it does a disservice to moms to not advocate mm. for that. Um, and unfortunately, I meet a lot of moms who are not doing a good job making it possible for their partners who are male to take on a bigger role. Mm. Um, and then complaining about it. So it's always interesting for me to like navigate because people see me out in the community. My wife and I are very engaged and 
we organize a monthly baby clothing swap and I'm at the front door taking cash and giving directions to people. And so I'm up front as a dad and I think people want to put me in this like separate sphere. And uh, so, so all of that sort of packaged together, you know, it's, it's like trying to unwrap the, the gender stereotypes. Um, but I'm not comfortable going from one box to another. Mm. And in a lot of ways, like, I think that I'm still genderqueer, which is not a term that was around when I first started thinking about this stuff. But I think that, you know, I don't want to tie myself to an idea of masculinity that feels like a another box that doesn't fit right. So I think part of being an engaged dad is 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 tied to that. Yeah, absolutely. The thing you're saying about um, like when parents would be like, oh, do you need help changing that diaper? Things like that. I think it's so interesting because from a, a like I'm just a big advocate for you know from the ground up with kids teaching them that they can play with any toys and they can do I'm like you don't let a boy play with a doll and then you wonder why he doesn't know what to do with a baby and you make fun of him for not being able that you make fun of dads for being like this stereotype of like the dad who doesn't know how I'm like let that kid play with a baby doll let that kid play house <laughs> and yeah. then they'll know well, what to do I actually, <laughs> I actually wrote an article about that for the um city dads mm. city dads um group.com is a, a national network of dads groups in different cities. I think there's over 40 cities around the country and I've been active in the Boston dads group. And, um, but I wrote, I wrote something about actually my son getting his first doll. And that was my point, you know, like if you don't start then, how are they going to learn yeah. um, to be nurturing human beings, regardless of whether they have children or just mm -hmm. like, caring for the world in general also it is just so cute like the little boy the twins that i nanny just got a baby doll i texted the mother because of course it was like given to the girl and i texted the mother yesterday and was like you need to get another doll they've been fighting over it all day because the little boy loves to just hold it and like walk around with it and feed it its little bottle it so mm. cute and i'm like it, this is so precious and the idea that like no it's hers and not yours it's like ew no just get them they're twins get them two dolls <laughs> <laughs> um, but luckily they're like very, the family that I work with is very cool like that. So the question again was, um, if you've had experiences where people have made assumptions about, about your family. Uh, let's see. The assumptions that people have made have really been around, you know, more around like that she's from a two parent home or something mm. like that, which mm -hmm. she's not. Um, it, we have sort of an invisible adoption. So because, you know, I'm biracial and she's African-American and not many people question our togetherness mm -hmm. in that particular way. So that hasn't really come up much. It's more around, you know, like there's a mommy and a daddy, like a daycare. There's been... Um, mommy stuff yeah. that I haven't really appreciated that much and it's sort of stuck and you know it's like even though I've told them all my preferred name of I, I would like to go by Maddie and I did oh, that I love particularly that. because <laughs> you know she has a birth mom and that will be mom and then you know um you know I had been partnered and that person wanted to be mama and so I was like okay well what's another name that I could have that's not you know, 
taking the place of anybody else and mm-hmm. sort of unique. So right now my kiddo calls me mama because that's sort of how it's been through the like daycare and preschool mm-hmm. process. And she doesn't quite really understand, you know, I use Maddie as, you know, it's like, Oh, Maddie wants to do this or that. And um, so I think eventually she can call me whatever <laughs> she wants, but I have this, you know, preference of other people and I get mama a lot yeah. and so I think that that has been something to you know point out that like I'm a, you know I have a unique family and this is how it's structured yeah. and you know it can get complicated for folks who weren't in for the whole story yeah yeah um I mean it touches like a lot on what Robbie was saying where like even more so like we look like a cishet couple that is what we look like a hundred percent like um, and I mean, obviously, like we get the assumption that we're not a blended family and that's just an easy explanation. I feel like people just get that. But um, we're both fairly newly out. We haven't like done a, a whole lot of ex- exploring, experimenting with gender identity yet. We both know that we're genderqueer to some degree, but like um, we don't present as genderqueer people. <laughs> you do, because you're genderqueer and you're existing in the world. So <laughs> what does that even there look like? And I loved what both of you were saying about your wives getting the, like, you know your husband's gay, right? Because I get that with Tom, who, like, does frequently get read as gay because biphobia is, is rampant, especially among men. And, like, you know, they'll be like, oh, like, that's your partner? I'm like, yes. <laughs> or we actually get it from gay men a lot where they're, they'll be like, oh, you just haven't, like, slept with the right guy yet. And it's like, what? <laughs> I think I just licked the pop screen. <laughs> um, and for, for, honestly, like, it's just kind of this weirdness of, like, not feeling like I have the right to kind of take up that space a lot of the time where yeah. people will be like, oh, but you're like fake queers, like, or whatever. Tom calls us stealth queers sometimes, which I really <laughs> like. Or like, I think he's used uh, the term mechanically hat, which I also like. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just kind of this this feeling of like, well, I don't, I don't want to put a whole lot of energy right now into presenting a certain way to get read a certain way. Um... I don't really mind us looking like a cishet couple that much as long as the people we know and talk to can like understand and accept it. Um, but there is a certain amount of kind of invisibility uh, that comes really from from biphobia and from people really wanting things to be like clear and observable. I do sometimes also get the kind of like the side eye about having two kids from two different dads, mm-hmm. which sucks. Like, especially because I had both my kids fairly young. Like, I'm not 30 yet, and I have two kids. And um, I will sometimes get the kind of attitude of, like, like, it's a class thing. It doesn't happen that much in my class that people, like, have kids young sort of unintentionally and go with it. And it doesn't really happen that much that you have kids from, like, different dads. And I do get sometimes some, like assumptions made about that um which is weird and unpleasant and people need to chill out about it because people have babies like that's like a normal function of human bodies right like I'll get the kind of like 
like oh your birth control failed and you like decided to still have the baby and it's kind of like yeah I did because like that's my choice also <laughs> like as much as choosing not to have the baby <laughs> um, but there will be like some weirdness around that sometimes um, and it feels very class-based it feels very much like like it goes from being like I see you on my class to like oh I see you as a lower class now uh, and I'm white so like it's much less icky for me than it would be for a person of color getting the same attitude. That's a whole other, you know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation the other day with another nanny at the park and um, she's a person of color, but white passing just for the context of the conversation. And we were having a conversation about, she just asked me, you know, Oh, what do you think? Like when you see a family with six kids and I was like, honestly, the the problematic first brain and you know how they always say like your first answer is sort of what society has told you to think and the second answer is like what you your second thought is what you actually think my first question would be what race is it what race is the family because if the family are people of color as growing up in america with conservative parents i would think like oh that's a welfare family like that's what my brain is like the first thing if it was a white family i'd be like those are catholic people and I think it's interesting that, like, those are the two different ways that my brain goes when I would see a large family. And then, like, I have to think about that and break down those stereotypes and, like, why am I, uh, you know, why does my brain go to those places? But I think that it's interesting that, like, depending on the race of the family, my brain goes somewhere totally different. Um, and on that note, we're just going to take a quick break for some announcements. Hey folks, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Rad Child Podcast. I'm just so excited about the amount of people who have showed interest and support and love for this project, and it really, um, really motivates me to keep going and make it its very best. So uh, without further ado, uh, some very exciting announcements. Uh, they're actually, for real, there, there are two pretty exciting announcements at the end, so please skip ahead and listen so that you'll know about our exciting announcements. So as usual, um, thank you so much for everybody who supported the Kickstarter. If you did support the Kickstarter, those thank yous will be at the end in song form as usual, so stay tuned for that. Your backer rewards, if you um, ordered any physical rewards, if you're in Canada, those have already been shipped to you, so I'm really excited uh, that people will hopefully be getting their Soon. Um, if you're in the United States, I'm actually going to be traveling to the United States, which is part of our exciting announcement, uh, next week. So I'm going to mail everything from there. That way, it'll get to you fast. Also, oh, bonus content and early release. I need to apologize because I have had a really hard time um, getting these episodes out on time, <laughs> let alone early, because right now I'm currently working a full-time job, um, and I'm I'm recording this right now as babies are napping. So um, it's a little tricky for me to get them done early. However, in a little bit of personal news, I am going to be starting a new job in September and I have specifically picked a job that will allow me to have more time to work on the podcast. So hopefully I will be able to get my booty in gear and get those out early. You should still be receiving your bonus content, which I need to get to, um, but that you, you will still be receiving. Now, on to the actually exciting news, which is that Rad Child Podcast is going to be having a table at the Philly Trans Wellness Conference. 
Um, if you don't know about it, there is a, an annual um, conference for transgender folks, allies, family members, partners, etc. Um, and that happens in Philadelphia every year. So I'm going to have a table for the podcast. Please stop by to say hi. I've got some free stickers and swag. I've got um, all of our merch for sale. We're going to be selling some exclusive. Um, I made some hard copies of the coloring book. The, this conference is the only place you're going to be able to get them. So if you want one, stop by. Um, there's also going to be a raffle for some free children's books, some art activities, just a lot of fun stuff happening uh, because I don't know how to just do one thing. <laughs> so... Uh, I really hope that I see some of you there. I'm really excited and hopefully uh, hopefully we'll get some new listeners out of that too. So that'll be fun to grow this little, our own little family. And our last announcement is, um, I know I mentioned this last week, but I just wanted to mention again that starting in September, uh, we're actually going to have a new segment, but a little bit of a revamp of the current segment. So usually at the end of every episode, I have a little segment where I give you guys suggestions of children's books related to the theme. So that is going to remain the same. That segment is still going to exist. However, I'm going to have two guests joining me. They're going to be regular guests, um, Rebecca and Crystal, who are going to be joining me to help me with that segment. So we're each going to be giving some recommendations. We're going to talk, have a little bit of a conversation about the books, why they're good, maybe what they could work on, things like that. Um, And yeah, I'm really excited about it. Rebecca and Crystal are really amazing. They have a really awesome product called Shift Book Box. And basically what it is, is each month they curate a box with two children's books based on a theme. So their theme, um, I believe this month's theme was Body Positivity and Reclaiming Fat. Uh, So they have all sorts of awesome themes like that about different religions in the world, about um, race, gender, sexual, all the sorts of things that we talk about they talk about too. Um, So yeah, that's very exciting. Uh, I would definitely check them out. You can go to shiftbookbox.com and check them out there. I highly recommend it. It's a great product. Uh, If you are in Canada, um, they are currently working on figuring out a way to make the shipping to Canada a little bit cheaper because unfortunately, if you're anyone who's ever mailed anything from the United States to Canada or vice versa, you know it's for no reason. It's very expensive. If you are one of our Canadian listeners and you're interested, uh, no worries on that front. They're working on that. Uh, and I, I would say even reach out to them and tell them if you're interested so they know how much interest there is in Canada and they can hopefully figure out a way uh, a way to do that. So last, but of course not least, um, please, 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 if you are able to donate to the Patreon, um, it's greatly appreciated. It's a monthly donation. You can do as little dollar and you can get some awesome rewards and it really really helps me out truly there are so many expenses that go into making a podcast that you don't realize until you make one so really every every penny counts uh and also uh please remember to rate and review if you like the podcast um there are about 100 listeners and there are three reviews so i see you there are like 98 of you who can still make a review um or rate so please please do that uh really helps us get things like sponsors um and just to have those numbers is really helpful so uh without further ado back to the show so we already touched a little bit on this in your answers but i'm curious like how um how gender and sexuality play into those assumptions that people make and also you know do you think that talking about gender and sexuality 
tie into talking, you know, talking about how different families come to be and those kinds of things. And how do you sort of have put that conversation together with the like, with the how families come to be conversation? I think that, you know, I'm, we've definitely been big on gender neutral clothes. What do you want to wear? What kind of toys? I think those kind of conversations about gender happen in those particular areas in my household. Um, in terms of sexuality, I think, you know, um, I talk about body education. People have different bodies. People want to wear different kind of clothes, things like that. I think they are connected. I, my family community here is very diverse. And so, you know, there's blended families and there's, um, I try to have a community of folks who've adopted children and who adopted through foster care. So we have exposure to a bunch of different types of families. And I think that really makes the difference of having a hard time talking about it or not. It just seems so natural that we're like, oh, we're going to this house and he has two dads and he also has, you know, um, another family or she has another family and isn't able to talk to that family. So we just sort of have different ways of, I just try to talk about, it all the time, I guess, to not make it seem that it's something we don't talk about or something that's not normal to talk about. And I just sort of play it by ear in terms of how it comes up. And, you know, um, I think that my preference has been to dress, you know, all my children in this sort of gender neutral way. And then um, because my experience is like, oh, I had to wear dresses and I hated it and it was terrible. You know, and then I saw, like, I bought her dresses the other day, and I saw her put them on, and, like, the look on her face, and I was like, I'm so happy. First of all, I'm like, oh, I didn't know how to feel about the, like, oh, you know, like, are you going to want to be really girly? I'm not sure if I can handle so much pink. And then I went to, like, I'm so happy that she has an experience of, like, wearing a dress that's not like, oh, I have to wear it in the same kind of way. So at first I had to manage my own reaction around it, but then I was, you know, as I came around, I'm like, she'll be able to wear, you know, she'll either be able to be much more flexible in her gender presentation or she will, you know, be supported in however she wants to present. So. I love that. I think that's so important. One of the things that I always try to do with kids because I often nanny kids who are very young. Um, like the kids that I just started with were about eight months old. I, I work with twins. And even at that young age, like I will give them two options of clothes every day and whichever one they grab, like that's the one they'll wear. And I try to, you know, maybe present a more feminine and a more mas- traditionally masculine option sometimes or all sorts of different things. And I think that that, that way, uh, you know, when kids or like even just, even if, we're not giving them options just to dress them in all sorts of different colors and kinds of clothes, regardless of when, what genitalia they have, you know, uh, I think is a great way to just teach kids that like, okay, no matter which one of these things, you know, no matter what you end up choosing to like, that's valid and that's okay. And you have options. Um, I think giving kids the idea that like from the very beginning you can wear and do anything or play with anything, um, is so, is so important. And so I like that idea a lot of just like not, not forcing anything on kids. You know? So, I mean, I, I 
sort of present as gender nonconforming. Mm-hmm. I definitely am, you know, I'm female bodied, so people often, you know, will um, assume that that's my gender presentation and things like that. So I've had that around. I think, I don't think that, I think it's been more race, mm. racialized. Or the common or the intersectionality of that, I get questioned a lot. In what um, way? Um, I think I'm just thinking back of one time where I took, um, I took all my kiddos to the pool very early, like as soon as they turned however many weeks mm-hmm. they had to be, I would take them to the pool, and they all were small kids, and so. You know, I remember going to the pool and this woman being in, she was in the pool, she was a white woman, and she came out and she was like, oh, you know, like, your baby's really young. And I was like, oh, you know, like, she's eight weeks, blah, blah, blah. Like, I always bring my kiddos here, whatever. I said the same story and she was like, so she said something to her child, which was like, oh, you used to be that small one time. And then she was like, but you never were here swimming at that age or something like mm. that. And it, the way that she said it, it wasn't like what she said, it was how she yeah. said it. And so I feel like there's often either backhanded parenting advice involved in whatever's happening or, um, you know, there was that situation. Or when I was actually fostering some of the child welfare workers, the way they would approach me about you know um saying things about like oh these kids were adopted by a gay couple in oakland you probably know them you know and i was like how would i know every gay couple in oakland we don't all have a potluck every week you know like so there were things around that um that come up but i don't know that they were just specifically gendered yeah. or, you know, about my orientation. I think there was a, a combination of things that people are uncomfortable with yeah. and they're not quite sure where to place me in the equation. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, like as um, someone who is trans and sometimes like people don't, I don't always know how people are reading me. It's interesting because I'll have situations where I'm like, huh, so this weird thing just happened, but I don't know if it's because you thought that I'm a woman or because you thought that I'm a man or because you thought that I'm trans. Like, I don't know how you're even reading me right now to know why you thought that that was an okay thing to do. A lot of times I'll get, I found, I found that since I uh, am more masculine presenting, uh, people will give me a lot of unsolicited advice. Uh, parenting advice when uh-huh. I'm with kids that I'm nannying people will be like oh that like I remember one winter uh the baby kept throwing their gloves off and it was it was like moderately it was moderately cold it wasn't cold enough that I would like force them to keep their gloves on but I was like whatever we're going another block I'm just gonna keep their gloves in my pocket and someone was like that baby is cold like how do you did the baby tell you they're cold you know like mind your own business you know um but I find it interesting, and, and I think as a as a masculine person on my end, like, I found that I've got a lot of, like, weird, unsolicited advice from people. One time I was, like, um, I was feeding a baby a bottle just, you know, on a bench out in a park, and uh, these two women stopped, and like I was a zoo exhibit or something, and they were like, I, one of them said to the other, I didn't know that men knew how to feed babies. That's amazing. And then, like, walked away. 
like said it about me oh. it was so strange um but yeah I think it's it's always kind of hard when those things happen to be like wow what part of my identity or like perceived identity is the reason that you made that comment I don't know I feel like I'm always wondering right <laughs> what's going on in people's heads yeah well for me I think that it is sort of interwoven and it's it kind of comes down to me wanting to raise um, my kids to be feminist and racially conscious and um, just like justice oriented. And it happens that both of my kids were identified as male at birth and um, they largely seem interested in the kinds of things that you would think boys would be interested in. Um, Trucks being like the number one thing. Um, So, it's just trying to expand, even for them, what that looks like, uh, not to assume their gender um, beyond, you know, sort of like I, when people ask me, because I, of, I often say kids and kiddos. Um, my wife and I make an effort to really say kids and kiddos as opposed to say boys and leave some flexibility there. Um, but people will often ask me the gender of my children, even like when they're not with me. Um, and I always say, oh, you know, I have two boys, even as far as I know. But, you know, my, my, my mom didn't know she had a boy until I was in my late 20s. So you never know. And, <laughs> and there, you know, depending on the setting, like that, that joke kind of like lands well or it lands with a thud. Someone I hadn't seen in many, many years. Um, I knew like 15 years ago. And they, they're, they're married uh, and they have two kids around my kids' ages. And we were like, let's all get together. And um, so it's two two moms and two kids, and the older kid presents as a girl, um, but the parents use he pronouns because the kid's gender non nonconforming, and they haven't asked to have a gender like pronoun switch. And the kid's about like four and a half years old. Um, you know, my son doesn't think that's weird. I don't get that. Why is that girl being called he? You know, like it just is. And it reminds me of a time when I was sitting in a GYN office uh, and a little kid was playing near me and actually kind of came a little close. And the mom was like, oh, you know, don't bother her. And the kid looked at the mom and looked at me and said, oh, he's a girl. And I was like, yes, that is absolutely correct. You know, like <laughs> that is the perfect summation. And I think kids just have much more flexibility around all of this than adults do. And I want to keep that as long as possible for them. Um, I mean, same, same, same. Like, <laughs> uh, we talk about, yeah, we, t- I mean, we talk about queerness right now. We're really this pride. We're really talking about kind of a little more of the like complications around being queer and a little bit more of the biases in the past. It's all just been like positive yay people. And this year it's a little bit more like, well, the struggles behind pride, like where it comes from, why it's so important to observe. Um, I think that, yeah, teaching kids about differences in gender and sexuality and diversity in gender and sexuality is as important as teaching kids, you know, anything else about human existence because it's just a fact of life and it's something you need to know to move about the world as somebody with like, empathy and understanding and like just like it's basic information about existing in the world hiding information about 
gender and sexuality diversity from your kids makes no sense to me. Regardless of whether or not you agree with it or not, your children are going to run into queer people yeah. in the world. They're going to see two, you know, dad families and two mom families and all different kinds of families and people. And again, hiding that information from them is, I don't, I don't think hiding any kind of information is helpful to mm-hmm. children. I don't think that um, I'm a big proponent of just talking about things right from the get go and not waiting until your kids start to ask questions. Cause I think often it's too late. They're getting the information from somewhere else and not from you. Yeah. Um, and you want to be able to have those conversations with them and make sure that they're getting the, you know, hopefully the correct information and the most accurate information. Um, and so I'm a really big proponent of children's books. Yeah. Uh, I just like love kids books, but you know, books that are incorporating not even like books, like for example, like Heather has two mommies. Great. Um, but I think even there's a, there's a book that I love. Um, shout out to Penguin Random House because they sent me a bunch of really awesome uh, books and one of those books is called Princess uh, Princess Puffybottom and Daryl and it is about a cat and a Princess Puffybottom obviously and a new dog comes into the family and you know whatever and the whole so the whole thing is like how this cat doesn't like the dog okay and the owners are two women mm-hmm. and like it has nothing to do with the story except the owners are two women and two people of color. And then at the end of the story, and you can kind of see in some of the frames, if you're paying attention, that one of them is pregnant. And then at the end, you know, Princess Puppy Bottom is like, oh, I'm so glad there's no more surprises. And they're like bringing home the baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But even just books like that, where it's like, oh yeah, it's normal that two women have a cat and a dog and a baby. (laughs) I had this, this just wild experience where, I follow an account on Instagram uh, called the Fourth Trimester's Body Project, which is um, uh, really just like photo journaling all the different kinds of families and bodies and people who give birth. And um, they posted a a photograph of of two moms in labor, like the the mom supporting the other mom through labor, and um, a whole bunch of the followers just freaked out. And we're like, this is a childbirth account. And it was like, yes. And this is a photo of childbirth. (laughs) Like, but just like, it's always because I've been in kind of this bubble. It's always wild for me to realize that people still like get that mad. And I think for that reason, it's so important to help kids just feel like it's normal. Yeah, to normalize that stuff right from the get go. And then I think it's, it's funny because then the kids, uh, you know, are all of a sudden calling, calling out adults yeah. on problematic yeah. things that they're, they're like, yeah. excuse me, you, yeah. t- my, my um, friend was telling me she was on the bus with her daughter who just turned six and uh, she referred to the bus driver and was like, oh yeah, she said this or she did this. And the daughter went, well, how do you know she's girl? And the mother was like, oh, well, I saw her on the way in. And she was like, I thought you told me that you can't tell someone's gender by looking at them. And she was like, oh, mic drop. Like, you're right. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. So sort of this is, again, sort of going off some of the stuff we touched on already. But um, I'm curious if y'all have ideas about, you know, how do we sort of explain to kids that not all families fall under this sort of heteronormative idea of what a family looks like because I feel like and we were sort of talking about this with children's books and things like that um but I think even in queer families a lot of times like kids will fall into like oh there's still like usually a mom and a dad or there's this and then like how do we not like combat is kind of a combat is kind of a strong word but like counter 
that narrative, um, especially when we start getting into like childcare and being around other kids and things like that. Well, one of the things I wanted to mention a moment ago, and I think fits into this question, is uh, even, I think, pushing back on the assumption, or not even the assumption, but just like the rule that people have that women give birth mm. and men do not. And um, this just happened like on a Facebook thread I was on where a, a dad posted this like <laughs> sandwich of hummus spicy mustard and a pickle. <laughs> and another dad said, I was about to ask if you're pregnant and then thought, but men can't get pregnant. And I said, gee, I don't think you've noticed this lately, but that's not the truth anymore. <laughs> um, maybe you just haven't met any trans guys who've you know, been pregnant. Because I have uh, two guys in my life who uh, we hang out with on a fairly regular basis that um, have given birth. And one of them is actually pregnant again. And I think it's just a thing. You know, it's like, I, I think it's kind of cool that my kids might one day ask me whether I gave birth because maybe that will be a possibility for them to even wonder that. Like to them to get the complexity of my identity and ask that question. And I didn't, but I think it would be great for them to like, have that worldview, which I think a lot of adults <laughs> don't have. <laughs> um, and it's just like completely outside of what they would have ever seen as possible. Um, but by the time my kids are old enough to put all that together, I don't think that's the case anymore. And not just like in a pop, pop culture kind of way, but that they've actually met dads that, you know, are chest yeah. feeding mm -hmm. in front of them um, that have big pregnant bellies in front of them and all of that. So, um, I think that that's one of the ways you combat this is by making sure that your circle of friends is not so homogenous mm -hmm. um, in any yeah. direction. You know, you don't, you don't want to be like, oh, like a lot of our close friends are like, you know, we're, they're kind of his queer aunties, <laughs> uh, that kind of thing, you know, but making sure that, you know, there's also lots of dads in our mm -hmm. life and just, you know, people in general and wanting to show that there's just lots of different ways for us to be families in this world. Um, so we, we go out of our way to host uh, queer family gatherings every now and again. We just moved and we're doing it again just to kind of get to know families in our neighborhood. Um, and that's one of the ways we do it sort of on a local level. As far as their schools, this gets a little more complicated because, because I do present um, just so easily and simply as dad, it, it's always a question of like, at what point do I come out mm. in that setting? And my son has now been to two preschools. One of them was his first time. It was, you know, two years, nine months. He'd never been in a preschool setting or any kind of daycare setting. And they were having trouble getting him to use the bathroom without like peeing on himself. <laughs> um, because, you know, he wasn't quite sure how it all worked and he wasn't sitting far enough back. So on the third day, they taught him to sand and they kind of almost apologetically told me that they had taught him this. And I said, oh, you know what? Glad you did. It wouldn't happen at home. <laughs> you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't have learned that from me. And then I come out because it, it's funny to me and it seems like an appropriate moment. It turned out that teacher had a trans. Oh, my son. gosh. <laughs> and that would never have come up, you know, like so not only did I get to sort of share, which always feels better for me, 
um, to have our family be seen as who we are. Um, but then she also got to be seen and it was, it was quite lovely. Her, her son was not little. Her son was like in his twenties or something. Um, but I don't know if it's, if we've managed to really be out in this current setting, other than the fact that I'm very out online and we've now become friends with all the other parents. And I think that's for me, a big way I handle this is just, um, being very out in like online settings, but I would want to make sure that the schools have books that were inclusive and would donate books to that effect. And I love going to the library and we recently went to the library for a program and they had, um, it was the, the night and the Prince and Night. night. Yes. Ah, Prince and Night. It's so good. And I came in halfway through with uh, my kids. And so I didn't know how the story started. And all of a sudden, like, they're embracing. <laughs> and I was like, that's not where I thought this was going. That's awesome. You know, like I just, you know, was like taken aback and then was so excited. So we brought that book home for a while. And I just, I would want to make sure that, that those kinds of books that are sharing different ways the world can be are part of like the yeah. education you get either through school, through the library, at home. Um, I, Cause I think we actually can do quite a bit to influence sure. that. I also love when you have those moments where you either like find a book at the library or you come in the middle of something and you're like, oh, I didn't. This is great. I found this book called Gilbert the Ghost, um, but it's about this little pink ghost. He was born pink and all the other ghosts are white. And he's like going to like scaring school to learn how to be scary. And, and you know, he's in class and the teacher's trying to teach them how to say a scary boo and he can only say bahoo. And it's, it's like, and so he gets... <laughs> he gets sent to the abandoned tower to go like, you know, toughen him up and whatever. And he meets a cat who uses he, him pronouns, but has a pink bow on his tail. Um, and then they just basically have a gay partnership and just like live in the abandoned tower together. They find like some old linens and like make curtains and they make it all nice and they live there together. And uh, it's, and they, um, and then when all the ghosts are tired of scaring, they come over, but when they come over, they come over for tea, but when they come over, they're very polite and they never say, and they all say, Bahoo, like Gilbert. And I was like, I picked this up at the library because it had a ghost in it. And the kid I was nannying at the time was obsessed with scary things. And I was like, what is this great book I just discovered? So, I want that. That's I will amazing. bring it to you. Yeah. You can borrow it for oh my sure. God. That's <laughs> Beautiful. I hope you're putting all of these resources in the show notes because oh, yes. I imagine people listening are going to be like, those are great books. Oh, I didn't know about that book. Absolutely. So, yeah, we've, we've mentioned quite a few good books. Yes, yes. absolutely. I also discovered that our library it. has a section. Our library has a section called coping books. Oh my God. And it turns out it's a section where you can get books about divorce, about adoption, um, sexuality and gender, like, Really interesting. I wish the um, audio medium so kind of captured went... the face I just made because I'm so excited about that. That's awesome. Yeah. So that that to me was great because I kind of just perused and I realized like there's some great content there. You know, my kids weren't adopted, but I'd like to read books about that with them. You know, um, it's just things like that. It's like you can seek it out. And um, I discovered that because I was asking where the book that we had just read in a, in one of the classes like was from. Mm. And they pointed me down that aisle. They're like, oh, it's in the coping books. I'm like, the coping books? I didn't know about that. That's also so. a great thought is like, just because your child isn't, your family isn't going through a divorce or your child isn't adopted, like, why can't you read a book about yeah. that to your children to like get other, you know, I love 
like one of the things I do with the kids that I nanny is we, when different holidays of other cultures or other countries are happening, like we, you know, try to talk about them and not celebrate them, but, you know, in a respectful way, we learn about some of the things we do and we do kind of like, you know, mini versions um, and learn about what they actually do in those countries. Like, just because I don't celebrate Diwali doesn't mean that we can't talk about Diwali and like, I'm learning about it, which is fun for me. (laughs) And you're learning that like other places we do different things. So I, I don't know. I love I love that idea. And for some reason, it just like never, that never really occurred to me <laughs> until this moment. We're like, hmm, we could just read books about all kinds of different things. Yeah. All kinds of different things. I think it's excellent. As long as we're we're plugging books, I do want to say, actually, uh, as I think about this question of kind of like, how do we explain to kids about this? I love the Todd Parr Families book. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an mm-hmm. old classic. It's been around for a while. Um but like, yeah, we have that one. And, and it's just like some families are like this. Some families are like this. Like some families have two dads. Some dad families have two moms. Some families have one parent. Like there's one that's like some families live close to each other. Some families live far from each other. And it's like aliens. I love that one because it's the first one we found the term stepdad in. Because uh, we hadn't talked about step parents at all. Because I was I was kind of trying to give my kids space to like warm up on their own. Um and they just like got the term stepdad and then at some point was like, oh, yeah, Tom is like my stepdad. But like I call him Tom. Um, yeah, that's a really, really good one. Um, one thing I always do is when we're reading body books, because my kid is obsessed with bodies and anatomy and how babies are made and stuff like that. Um, and we have these books which are informative and good and I had them growing up but they are so 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 cisnormative it's the uh, um, it's not the stork it's perfectly normal um, and and it's so amazing as the other one and they're good they're aimed at different age groups um, they have just like illustrations of frank nude bodies so you like know what do- they're body positive like they they have queer representation but they are are so heavy on that boys have penises and girls have all this thing like just so 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 heavy um and so when I read them I just I just alter the language as I read which is only going to last until my kid can read themselves but like (laughs) I just say like people who have penises have this anatomy and people who have vulvas have this anatomy and kind of leave the the boys and girls part out of it you forget that like as adults we have the power to edit things yeah yeah (laughs) or that's like I I was um hanging out with my friend and she was like yeah we just glued these two pages together because we didn't like them oh that's brilliant (laughs) I'm gonna use that yeah (laughs) yep yeah, but yeah, so th- that's, I mean, there's such a need for a body book that is not incredibly cisnormative yeah. in the world. It's really a body book, but was I telling you about Tell Me About Sex, Grandma? No, you were telling me about okay. sex is a funny word, but I don't Tell Me About Sex, this. Grandma is a great book. Um, that is another one I stumbled upon in the library and was like, what is this amazing? I mean, it's it's it reminds me a lot of um, the Corey Silverberg book, but it's a little bit... Uh, it's it also talks about masturbating and it talks about um just some different I don't know it's just really I really like it and also I like that it's uh it's like a grandson and a grandmother of color um and there's yeah it's just really great that author his name is Anastasia Hagen Botham it's her name um also has a, a series that's like about there's one about I think it's called Divorce Sucks uh Death is the Worst it's like about stuff like that 
Um, and there was a, a new one that I can't remember the name of that um, tackles racism, like how to, as a white person, like how to approach like racism and the things that are going on right now, especially in America. Um, but those books are also, this is just turning into a book review podcast this episode because there's so <laughs> many great books, but I just love the idea of like having the power to edit or just like glue some pages together or, but it's true. Like I've, I've done story times before where the kids will be like, um, that's not what it says. And I'm like, it is now. <laughs> well, and the, the editing will make me so annoyed because like, especially with this particular series I was referring to, they updated the older kids one recently to be more, they said to be more like queer and trans inclusive. And then it was essentially just like a page summarizing what being trans is like for cis kids basically. And I was just, I was so disappointed. I was so deeply disappointed because it is so easy for me to edit it when I read it to, to be inclusive. And so it's like, well, if I can do this on the fly like reading a story at bedtime, you can edit it. Just get some trans people to edit it. Like, that's all you have to do is get an actual trans editor to edit the language on this. And like, and it'll be done. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, that, yeah, I find that there, there was a book that I was reading that um, all of the, like the entire book, they didn't gender the child and I was so excited. And then on the last page, they gendered the child. And I was like, you didn't, need to do that and this could have been inclusive for so many other like yeah. Yeah. I'm having a harder time finding like single parent stories mm. either though like not really talk about the relationship of parents necessarily in a book or they will you know um, you know so there's like plenty of books where there's like a mama bear or a papa bear or whatever and that's the whole story and there's not another person but um I, it's harder to find books like yeah, that that's and a really I, good point i've never so many, thought about that yeah we we don't have we have so many intersecting identities in this household mm. that it's really hard to find the perfect book yeah. but um you know i think i just try to expose her to different books um that will you know, sort of present different options besides talking about it. I think I've had to have conversations with her school and about, you know, they sent home this family tree and it was, um, she goes to a Spanish, a second mm -hmm. language school. So it was all in Spanish, but it was basically like mom, dad, sister, brother, grandma, grandpa. And, you know, so I took it back and I was like, this is not what my family looks like. I, can I cross this out? Like, do you have another one? Can you print it blank? Like, mm. I, I don't want her to have a different tree than everybody else, but I need to have a way to, you know, sort of put our family on here that will actually make sense and it doesn't with these labels. And so they were overly apologetic about <laughs> it. And, you know, I just feel like I've had to do some advocacy in that area i had to like print out how to have a lgbtq um uh sort of like inclusive school mm. form that i found you know it's like having books not doing you know we just got done with this whole mother's day father's oh day gosh. thing and you know it's it's almost like doing nothing is not the solution either yeah. so you know i got the mother's day card and that was fine whatever wasn't my favorite but then it was like the father's day card was just sort of like left in the cubby uh. and 
you know, I was just like, oh, that's not great either, you know, but that would have been a great opportunity to have a question, to ask me a question yep. instead of just assuming that like, because first of all, as a single parent, I'm celebrating both days. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I want a card on all of the days <laughs> of the year. And then, <laughs> but it was like, I just, I, it would have been a great opportunity. So then, you know, also because it happens to be Pride Month, I was like, all right, I'm just going to get two things over with at once. We're going to get this, you know, sheet printed out that says, you know, talks about how they could do a little bit better mm -hmm. in inclusion around these particular things. So I think it's come up around that and a little bit. It's a lot at the school because the kids sort of assume, you know, um, who you are based on who's picking, you know, my child mm -hmm. up. And so I have my friend go pick her up on certain days or whatever. And so they didn't really know what to call her, you know, and I was like, well, you know, let's have a name so that the kids can get in line with it, you know, so, and that our family is different. And I sometimes describe it as like, I have a modern family. Yeah. Different than the show, <laughs> but this is how it, you know, it's not the same as everybody else's, but, you know, it's, it's unique in its own particular way. And I think that kind of advocacy is so important, not just for your family, but I'm sure there are other families that are benefiting from that because even, you know, even outside of queer families, there's plenty of families that are single-parent families or maybe someone's being raised by their grandma or their abuela or whoever, um, or, you know, all sorts. I mean, so many different things. Maybe you have two families. Maybe, you know, there's so many different ways that families can look. And I think that, you know, it's really important and awesome that you're doing that kind of advocacy work. And it's it's kind of unfortunate that it still needs to be done in this day and age, especially with stuff like Mother's Day, Father's Day. Like, that seems pretty right. basic to me. But there, there was a kid that um, I was nannying at one point who had two moms. And actually, one of them went by Maddie. Um one of them was uh, Mama, and the other one was Maddie. And we went to this uh, event. It was like a like a little drop-in play group, and it was around Father's Day, and they had the kids all making a Father's Day thing and hadn't thought at all to include something. And they knew that he – I mean, and they even, like, knew us. We went there all the time and knew that he had two moms and didn't even think about it to include right. something for and – so, yeah. and they ended up just telling us, oh, just cross out Dad and put Mom. And I was like <laughs> – that's like getting a birthday card that's actually an anniversary card and someone just crossed it out and wrote happy birthday on it. Who would want that, you know? Right. Um, and the idea that that was your your version of being inclusive is, like, very right. scary. But, um, but, yeah, I think it's really important, especially, like, as educators have to get on board with that, too. It's, like, thinking about all of these ways that we can be inclusive. Um, yeah, and I was surprised a lot because, you know, I'm in Oakland. There's, like, so many queer families in Oakland. And this seemed like the first time that this teacher director had seen <laughs> you know, some sort of information. It just, I was like, we're 2019. I could have, you know, maybe 15 years ago, 10, 15, fine. But it just seemed a little late in the game yeah, but for sure. you know and now I, I'm looking for different books that are in Spanish that you know a different kind of task that um, you know explain different families and thing, things like that so I've gotten a list that I'm getting 
from the library to read them first, and then I'm going to go in and read the story. That's my other intervention. Yes. Well, at any rate, that's all the questions that I had. So unless um, anyone has anything that they wanted to add, fun, exciting anecdote, more book reviews. <laughs> The, I did have one more thing I wanted yeah. to say, which is what's what's always like astonishing to me is that so my I have it was thrown at me as an insult, but I adore it. I have been called the the gender neutral like mumbo jumbo house. The gender neutral mumbo jumbo house is what my 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 home was called, which is delightful. I'm so happy about that. I want it on a cross stitch. Uh, but even in this environment, my kid still falls into the pattern of cis-heteronormativity because it's so pervasive and and so when people are kind of like well aren't you being a little extreme and I mean like there is the caveat that my kid does spend half the time with their dad who is um you know a conservative Christian and with all the cis-hetero stuff that goes with that um but like when people are like oh aren't you extreme or pushing the queer agenda or whatever it's like well like yes and they're still picking this up yeah, like you have how... to push it so hard yeah. to even make a dent yeah yeah, because they get these messages pushed so hard. I think really the, the generation of kids like that we have, this this age group of kids, are going to have a different world in terms of the stuff they get from the media. Even in schools, they're starting to pick up. Um, I was just watching Shira with my kid and was like delighted to see a like a two dad family. Like they go to see somebody's family and it's and it's a two dad. Uh, two people of color dads <laughs> um, that was an awkward way to phrase that but like you yeah. get you get what I mean yeah. um, and just I love that incidental yeah. inclusion just like in Princess Puppy Bottom yeah it's yeah. like the that's what you know just normalizing like I love the idea of having things that are like I am trans this is what trans means trans is okay like that's yeah. great but I think we have enough things like that now where like now we just need to be able to exist in the world to plug my own project for a moment on the yeah podcast which is the the podcast i host um we call it casual queers casually existing and it is something we look for in books as we review them um, that's like the the new version of the Bechtel test yeah i just think it's going to be exciting to see how this evolves as my kids get older i mean they're so they're so little right now and um, I mostly can't understand what my son's saying. <laughs> um, you know, it's like I have to pay attention to the the media he consumes, books and, and shows, for me to even start to decipher the stream of consciousness that comes out of his <laughs> mouth. And my 18-month-old, like, you know, great communicator, but without words. And so this conversation is sort of beyond um, what's possible. But I, I'm really up for the challenge of this. And... My wife and I have joked that we both have a sociology undergrad degree, and I also have a master's in social work. And in some ways, it's just a grand social experiment to have <laughs> children. And, um, you know, really, you know, we know, like, that we aren't the only influence, but that we are a major influence on their lives and take that responsibility pretty seriously. And I won't know the results of this grand experiment for another 20 years or so. And that's also amazing. <laughs> it's like daunting. <laughs> um, but that one day, you know, we're doing all of this, not because they're children, but because of the adults we mm -hmm. want them to be. And I've met parents who have kids in their 20s who say, like, their kids are just the best people to be around. And they, like, love, you know, they really just appreciate them. And I'm like, I really hope <laughs> that that's where we're headed. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I don't want to, like, 
turn off my kids. You know, like my my wife and I are also really into spreadsheets and making lists. And we're like, uh oh, our kids are gonna hate spreadsheets. You know, <laughs> like I don't want to become, you know, have my kids become like Alex P. Keaton because I was so liberal and progressive and pushing this, you know, queer agenda, as it were. So, so we'll see. I mean, it's just, um, it's really. A, it's been great to create a community around it though. So we're not by ourselves by any means. And that's, that's been really wonderful. So thank you for inviting us to be on this show. Cause I think this is a great conversation and a lot of parents are wondering how to have it. It's, it's, it's funny yeah, it's though, Robbie, great. what you, uh, what you were saying about sort of like this grand project and hoping, you know, like wondering and hoping what your kids are going to turn out. Like I think about this a lot as a nanny because like I raise children and then I just sort of disappear. I marry Poppins with my little umbrella and I leave. Um, and it's funny because one of the parents, the last set of twins that um, I was with, they had a trans dad and a mother who they who identified as a lesbian. Like they both uh, very strongly identified with the lesbian community and the queer community uh, even prior to his transition. And just to sort of give you a frame of reference, that like you know they're like pretty deeply queer people. <laughs> and um, I was always like. Like, do you care what I clothes I put them in? Because it was like boy girl twins, and I would like put them both in skirts sometimes, and put them both in like butch clothes sometimes, and like once sometimes like he would be in a skirt and she would be in like like whatever. I would just dress them cutely in whatever clothes I felt like, um, which was a really fun part of that job, <laughs> getting to coordinate baby outfits. But um, now apparently um, the little boy like will not wear pants, will only wear pink, and I and I'm like, I kind of feel like I helped make a queer kid up yeah. able to like safely exist in the world and that like brings me so much joy not like I made him queer by putting him in skirts but like that I helped him even from you know being a toddler being like oh I can wear skirts that's fine and like now that he likes doing that he doesn't you know feel any shame around around that I'm like oh brings me joy queer joy <laughs> All right. I think that about wraps everything up. Thank y'all so much for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure. And now it's time for some book recommendations. Right, so now it's time for our final segment, Way to Go and Room to Grow, where uh, we talk about some book recommendations related to our topic and just what they've done well and what maybe they could do a little better. I will start by saying that the book that I recommended last week is really my favorite family's book, and I'm going to recommend it again, and that's Families, Families, Families by Max Lang and Suzanne Lang. It's a really, really great book. It just talks about all different kinds of families, and I found that it is the most exhaustive book that exists. Unfortunately, it doesn't include polyamorous families, and it doesn't include foster families. Um, there are probably a couple of other things that it doesn't include as well, but it's the most exhaustive one that I've found. If you have a family's book that you really like, I would love if you would share that with me. You can either tweet, email, um, Facebook, what else is there? Instagram. You can pretty much reach out to us anywhere. And it's just at Radchild Podcast. So if you have ideas for other books that you like, please share them with me because I have not read every book that exists. So in light of the fact that I recommended that book last week, I am going to recommend a different book. Uh, and that book is We Are Family by Patricia Hagerty. Um, there are a lot of things I really love about this book. 
Uh, it's basically a, a book that's more about the values of being a family. Um, instead of listing all the different types of family, you know, it, it'll say things like families are loving, so strong, kind, and caring. We're there for another. Problems are for sharing. Things like that, right? It's like about how families support each other. Or, um, you know, it's, a, it's about, I think, more of the value of what it means to be a family rather than, um, well, this is a kind of family and that's a kind of family and this is a kind of family, which is what families, families, families is more like. Um, so a way to go for this book, I would say, is really just, it's very inclusive in the illustrations. There's lots of people of color. There's a child in a wheelchair. Um, there's uh, just, you know, people from all different backgrounds. Um, and really just a lot of variety. Uh, there's two dad families, two mom families. Um, yeah, so I would say that my way to go for this book is really just the inclusion in the illustrations is really great. My room to grow for this book um, is that I would I would love to even see that diversity pushed further. I would love to see other disabilities represented besides wheelchair users. Um, I think that it's great that we're finally at the point um, where I feel like a lot of kids' books, there's sort of always this token kid in a wheelchair which is good and bad. Um, I think it's good that we're finally having representation, I think, but I think it's coming off a little more like, oh, we need someone with a disability, put a kid in a wheelchair. There are so many other visible disabilities that could be represented. I've never seen a book um, with a character who just has a hearing aid and it has nothing to do with the story. That, okay, that's not true. There is one book, it is called Bell's Knock Knock Birthday. Um, and it's by an amazing publisher, Flamingo Rampant, who I absolutely love. So that is the only book I've ever seen where there's a character with a hearing aid, and it is not a story about them having a hearing aid. Um, so yeah, I would love to see more inclusion just in the um, in disability-wise. And also, you know, I would like to see, I think there's often, again, it feels tokenized. There's always a two, one two-mom family and a two-dad family. And I would love to see queer families as well. Um, maybe a family where it's not clear what gender the parents are. Um, you know, I would like to feel represented in that way for sure. So that's my room to grow for that book. But overall, I really, really like it. I recommend it. We Are Family by Patricia Hagerty. Um, most libraries that I've been to have it, so uh, you should be able to find it pretty easily, I hope, wherever you are. Um, but at any rate... Uh, thank you so much again for, for joining us. And now, on to some thank yous. Thank you are two words Said too often So instead of saying them I thought I'd put them in a song First of all, Denise who makes all of our awesome art Thanks for sharing your talent That's really cool on your part And thank you to the Upper Network For having faith in me To Tom, Toby, and Tepper Y'all are rad as can be You might think the song is repetitive And that may well be true But I couldn't think of a better way To say my thank 
our donors, Danilo and Morgan, Carol, Simona, and to Emily, to Leah and Amy, Izzy and Candice, and to Joelle, to Vicky, Joanna, Jennifer, Max, Libby, and Michelle, to Tracy, Nathaniel, Sam, and Maggie, Christian, and Timo, to Hannah and Andrew, Mel and Drew, and to Caroline, to Dominique, Lee, and Rita, Ellen, Isabel, and to Michelle, to Travis and Lindsay, Jamie and Lori, and to Erica, to Laura and Lauren, Jennifer, Sarah, and to Adrienne, to Teresa, and to Nash, y'all are the very best. And lastly, to my wife, my daily inspiration. Find that cheesy anyway the song is done thanks for listening guys see you next time i'm tom i'm will and we're the hosts of blasting off again a new pokemon podcast brought to you by the upford network we've decided to take on the task of watching through every episode of pokemon providing live commentary and in-depth analysis of everyone's favorite 90s dogfighting cartoon we're tackling the hard-hitting issues is brock racist was copping the first ever suicide bomber what are the environmental implications of using pikachu to power a building will misty ever get her pipe back find out the answer to all these questions and more on blasting off again available on the upford network itunes and wherever you get your podcast We're We're blasting off again! Hey everybody, we are the Don't Be Mad Podcast, partners of the Upford Network. My name is Matthew and I'm joined here as always with... Jason. Jamali. We cover everything from politics, sports, and pop culture. And you can catch us every Monday on all podcast platforms and you can watch our videos on YouTube.